appreciate the opportunity to be able to be here and share with you this morning. It is always a privilege to be able to speak into people's lives and hopefully in the speaking give them something that is meaningful and potentially transformational in their lives. And so in order to do that for you today, I'm going to tell you a lie. I'm going to tell you a lie. And I'm going to tell you a lie because in the midst of our culture, in the deterioration of our culture, as we watch our culture move into dark places and dark spaces, this is a lie that we can no longer choose to believe. And so let me tell you a lie. And this lie is this. Because we feel small, we think that we can't make a difference. Because we feel small, we think that we can't make a difference. That is a lie. And so let's talk about it. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, we read this. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hid in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Now, the treasure referred to in this verse was hidden in a place where no one would have thought to look for treasure. The word field in this verse likely refers to a farm field, which is the last place that we'd think to look for treasure. No one's poking around a farm field looking for treasure. People are planting stuff there. They're watering stuff there. They're growing stuff there. They're harvesting stuff there, but they're not digging for treasure there. Because it's a field, and because we don't necessarily associate a farm field with treasure, people would have passed it by a million times without giving it a thought. We don't associate treasure with those kinds of places. So we don't look for it in those kinds of places. And because we don't, we miss treasure. Because we assume it not to be in the very places that God has put it. God does not put treasure where man puts it. And once we recognize that, we can begin finding real treasure in life. And some of that treasure, in fact, a lot of that treasure is sitting right here in this room in all of you, in a place that not even we would look for it. Think about this. An unknown author wrote, real treasure lies not in what can be seen, but what cannot be seen. And so we miss treasure because we assume it not to be in the very places that God has put it. And because we miss it, we go on without it when we don't have to. And because we miss it, we miss the treasure in us. And the treasure in us is too important and too valuable to miss, particularly in the midst of the culture within which we find ourselves today. Several years ago, I wrote an article called Sparrows in the Garage, Little Treasures. And I, I want to I take an, an, a paragraph out of this and read this to you to further clarify and sharpen what I'm trying to say to you this morning. And it reads this way. Treasures are hidden away in quiet places. They speak in soft tones and often become silenced as we approach. They don't beg to be found, but embrace us if we do happen to find them. They're the product of completely ordinary circumstances, unfolding in wonderfully extraordinary ways. They are found hidden in the nooks and crannies of our existence, all around us if we quit allowing our attention to be captivated by that which is noisy 
and listen for that which is quiet and still. The greatest power rests in the smallest things. God reverses everything and puts immense power in the tiniest of places. A number of years ago, I wrote a book called An Intimate Collision, Encounters with Life and Jesus. And there's a chapter in An Intimate Collision entitled Darren and a Plastic Fish. And I pulled an excerpt of that chapter out that I'd like to read to you to illustrate uh, my point this morning. So let me take a moment and read this to you. It reads this way. Darren and a cheap plastic fish. It was a dollar store bin filler indelibly stamped with made in China that bordered on being junk. There were numerous needs in Darren's life, so numerous that he himself was lost in them. They were pathetic and endless, so it seemed anyway. A plastic fish was little more than a cheap toy that momentarily anesthetized a childlike mind trapped in the deterioration of a 35-year-old body. It was a mere trinket, a point of focus upon which to forget the realities that had bent him and ultimately broken him. It served as a pathetic distraction from all that had cut thick furrows across his head and heart far too early and far too prematurely. It was a cheap plastic fish. The years had stooped his gait and lined his hair with ever lighter shades of premature gray, cutting deep fissures across his brow and thickening young skin. His gait had been reduced to a shallow shuffle, dragging thick shoes across coarse pavement. He wore the soles thin on the outside edges, further canting his gait. His soul was much the same, deeply worn on the outside edges as well, throwing into a precarious imbalance the cadence of an already distorted life. Darren found himself limping through a world that placed ultimate premiums on that which is new, believing that any value is inherent only in the degree of newness an object possesses. The world viewed his worn edges as old, used up, and spent. He was unfairly evaluated as discarded humanity and rendered invisible to the eye of a world too busy. Baggy pants were thread thin at the knees and frayed at the pockets, with stitching pulled and strained at various seams. An oversized shirt bespoke of his desperate efforts to fit in life. Like his shirt, it never happened. Stained and limp, a faded handkerchief hung from a weary pocket. A mouthful of decay filled each smile and poured out in each conversation. Chapped lips were edged thick, by a coarse stubble sprouting from a grimy bed of mottled skin. The expanse of his squared jaw and sunken cheeks were covered with a bumper crop of inattention. His words were primitive and slurred, rolling off his tongue in seamless bursts that made comprehension nearly impossible. Shoulders were drawn down by the weight life had exerted on him, pulling him forward in a Neanderthal sort of cadence that was long and slothful and he wanted to show me his plastic fish. Kind of like the disciples, huh? They caught fish. They were fishermen, he said. A broad smile of decay anticipated a hearty response from me. Darren was 35, 
yet he was enamored with a dollar store plastic fish. Like the disciples, huh? His persistence accelerated my desire to talk to a real adult. Church was over and there were many candidates milling about. My momentary objective was to determine how to terminate this infantile conversation and find someone with some shred of intelligence that I could talk to. I moved to close the conversation with Darian and did so quite deftly. I thought he would have no idea that I had just ditched him. As I stepped away from him, he held the plastic fish in his weathered hands as if it were a precious treasure and muttered softly to himself, I was a sinner. Now I am a fisher of men too. And his words stopped me cold. Like Darren, small things hold great power in many different ways that we don't recognize. Small things hold great power in more ways than we realize. And while we may be small, we hold great power. So in what ways do we hold great power? In what ways do we hold great power? I want you to think about these. First, small things direct great things. In James chapter 3, verse 4, it says, Look at the ships also, though they are so great and driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. The power and force of great things are directed by small things. Small things may not possess the power themselves, but they have the power to direct the power. And that makes them powerful in ways that we may not have considered. And while each of us, while you and I might be small, God has granted us great power to direct great things. Second, small things manage great things. Small things manage great things. James chapter 3 verse 5 says, So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. If we don't control the small things, we can destroy the big things. If the small things aren't managed, the big things will become unmanageable. And while each of us, while you and I, might be small, God has granted us great power to responsibly manage great things. Thirdly, small things start great things. Small things start great things. Zechariah chapter 4 verse 10 says, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. It's not the size of the start of something in our lives. It's that something started. A small start is as important as a big one, because without a start, nothing else will happen. And while each of us, while you and I might be small, God has granted us great power to start great things. Fourthly, small things grow into great things. In Mark chapter 4, verses 30 through 32, Jesus says, How shall we picture the kingdom of God, or by what parable? Shall we present it? It is like a mustard seed, which, when sown upon the soil, though it is smaller than all the seeds that are upon the soil, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all garden plants and forms large branches, so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. 
What is big started as something small. The roots of big things are encased in small things. What is small is essential to that which is big because that's where big came from. And God describes the kingdom of God itself, the biggest, most powerful thing imaginable, as emerging from small things. And while each of us, while you and I might be small, God has granted us great power to grow into great things. Fifth, small things achieve great things. Small things achieve great things. God calls Gideon to take 300 men, a small group, and attack 135,000 Midianite soldiers, a large group. And in Judges chapter 6, verse 15, Gideon says, O Lord, how can I deliver Israel? Behold, my clan is the poorest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. God calls the smallest man from the smallest clan with the smallest reputation to do the biggest job. God takes something that's small to war against something that's massive. It's not the size of something. It's the God who walks with that something. And while each of us, while you and I might be small, God has granted us great power to achieve great things. Sixth and finally, he wants to have great things built upon our smallness. Matthew chapter 21, verse 42 says, Jesus said to them, Have you never read the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. So what is a cornerstone? Let me read to you what a cornerstone is. Here's the definition of a cornerstone. It reads this way, the cornerstone or foundation or setting stone is the first stone in the construction of a masonry foundation. Important, since all other stones will be set in reference to this stone, thus determining the position of the entire structure. Something small dictates the rest of the building. Something small determines how level and flush the rest of the building will be. Something small sets the tone for the rest of the building. And Jesus is referred to as this small but terribly important thing upon which everything else depends. And while each of us, while you and I might be small, God has granted us great power to have great things built upon us and around us. Every one of us. And so I want you to remember these things about small things. Remember these things. Small things have a power. The big things do not. Yet we miss the small things because we're always in search of the big things. Here's what we do. We equate size with power. We equate intelligence with power. We equate money with power. We equate fame with power. We equate social standing with power. We equate a successful life with power. We equate education with power. But in God's economy, power rests in small things. And while each of us, while you and I might be small, God has granted us great power to direct great things, manage great things, start great things, grow into great things, achieve great things, and have great things built upon us. As I close this morning, I want to take you back to the story of Darren and a plastic fish. And let me wrap up with this thought. It reads this way. People continued to mill about me, 
but they had vanished in the midst of deep thought and the emotional turmoil that was beset within me. I turned to Darren, who was meandering off to some unknown destination, much like his life. I reached out and touched his shoulder. He stopped and staggered a bit as he turned to look at me, his body long, worn beyond grace and dexterity of movement. Sparkling eyes set deep in worn sockets met mine, shocking me into the realization that I did not have that sparkle. I paused tentatively. Can I see your fish? I stammered. Although a rare treasure, he instantly placed it in my hands without hesitation or forethought. He unabashedly shared the wealth of his life in a simple gesture, freely giving to a soul that needed what he had found, handing to me what he had grasped. I needed the authenticity of his faith and the deep conviction in whose light my own pathetic belief system shrank and ran sour. Such treasures often come in simple packages, like Darren. Their simplicity is in their security, as few would look there. Few look there because few lend their eyes to simplicity because simplicity suggests vacancy and emptiness. Those who do look there find the opposite. They find treasure. They are not out to rob or pillage the treasure, but rather seek it as a precious gift that no one can hoard or hold individually. It is bigger than one individual and made to pass to and through all individuals, so it passes much more simply through simple people like Darren. It is to be savored, drawn fully into oneself, and then left to enrich the next passerby. Hidden away in the Darrens of the world, God has deposited his light, set to explode into any life that is so daring and so desperate as to engage the light in simple places. I held his plastic fish, turning it this way and that, drawing down into its plastic and paint as Darren had, trying to draw out of it what he had. I'm going to hang it in my house, he blurted. I don't have anything on one wall. It's all white, just white, that's all. And I'm going to hang it right in the middle, he said. A barren wall, like his life. His faith was hung right in the middle of it. And I thought how totally appropriate and how absolutely wonderful. I handed the fish back to him. I'm going to go home right now and hang it up, he said with an electric excitement. As he turned to shuffle away, I called after him and said, Thanks, Darren. There was no response. He hadn't heard me. He was engulfed in the symbol of his faith, a captive to his mad love affair with his god and his fish. Other people still mingled about me, but I no longer desired what they offered. As Darren stepped into the passenger seat of a waiting car, I realized that I wanted what he had. I wanted a plastic fish. I wanted a vibrant faith. I wanted to be consumed with God as this disheveled man was to have all of that hanging in the center of my life. I want to be that simple, that basic, that uncomplicated, but that powerful. I wanted to be like Darren and a plastic fish. So simple, yet so powerful. 
And so as we close, remember this. While each of us, while you and I might be small, God has granted us great power to direct great things, to manage great things, to start great things, to grow into great things, to achieve great things, to have great things built upon us, just like Darren. And so let's dispense with the lie that because we feel small, we think that we can't make a difference. But we can make a difference because we are small. May God bless each and every one of you.